0: Amen. Praise God. Amen. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Let it do what your word does. Let it bring illumination, bring revelation. Let it set free. Let it empower. Let it break yokes, Heavenly Father. And let it help us to come to a place where we know who we are in your Son, Jesus Christ. Let it bring freedom, Father. In Jesus name and let it do this and these things and more Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus and together we say Amen. Amen. Today I'm going to start a series That I have titled Oh God Who Am I? And, and the reason I titled that, it, this, that I, typed, I gave it this title is simply because If you look around you will find out that The world is going through an identity confusion. There's a confusion in the world, and not just in the world outside the church. As you will find out, even within the church, as to our identity, who exactly are we? For when you talk about an identity, you're talking about who the person is. And I'm hoping that at the end of this series, we can discover our true identity, If you look around, there's so much fluidity, and simply because people don't know any longer who they are, so you can deal with gender fluidity, there's the whole confusion as to our sexual identity. There's a lot of confusion as to our race, the the confusion that comes into the whole world of, 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 of race as to racial identities, and there's definitely a cultural identity crisis that the nation is facing. The whole thing to do with Brexit, the the way people have set their hearts so hard, the way it has divided the nation, the nation has become more tribal and people have pledged allegiances to their various tribes to the detriment of the nation. The breakdown in the family structure that we have seen in our nation is primarily an identity crisis where people no longer know who they are, and people no longer, as a result, act out who they are. And they pick up wrong identities, and we see the results on our streets. We see young men who are running amok on our streets simply because they have lost their identities. They lost their identities, a lot of them, because their fathers lost their identities. We see young women who are doing things that young ladies should not do simply because they have lost their identities. When you come to a church and a man abuses his wife, it really is an identity problem. When a child is rude and disrespectful, it really is an identity problem. When a woman, a wife, verbally abuses her husband, at the core, it's an identity problem. When you find In a church, two Christians who profess Christ but who have enmity one against the other. At the core, it's an identity problem. When you find a guy in church who is playing the field in church, sings the songs, lifts his hands professes to be a Christian, but has gone through five girls in church, three of whom he convinced to sleep with him, that guy has a serious identity crisis. When you find a lady who thinks her body is her calling card, that person has an identity problem. And we can go on and on. But these are all the outworkings, these dysfunctions that we see, where things are not working how they should work, At its core, what we're dealing with is an identity problem. And there's there's a confusion amongst human nature as to our true identity. And you know, the interesting thing is that it was not like this in the beginning. In the beginning, man, and that's a generic term for man and woman, had no problem with his or her identity. The Bible says in Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26 to 28, and I'm reading from the Amplified Classic. It says, God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him male and female. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Using all its vast resources in the service of God and man. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. I would love to read that scripture to you from the Message Bible. And in the Message... The Bible says, God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflect in our nature so they can be responsible, responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike. Reflecting God's nature, He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Two powerful scriptures that actually start or started the journey of humanity where God, and the Bible makes clear that it was the Trinity sitting in council, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made a declaration. They they declared publicly their intent. Their mind was to make man. And there are a couple of phrases that stand out that display God's intention. It was to make man... In our image, God said. After our likeness, God said. Reflecting our nature, God said. God-like, one translation says. And so this was God's intention. It was God's mind that we will create this being. But this being that we are creating, male and female, will be made in our image. And you know what that means. If If they say something is the image of something, they are saying that, This thing, that's the image of that, looks like that. And so he was saying, let's make mankind in our image to look like us. Let's make mankind after our likeness, to have our personality, our traits, uh, to be some sort of, to have a resemblance with us, so that when we see our creation, we get really a glimpse of God. He says, "Let's make them reflecting our nature." And you know what a reflection is? A reflection is not the original. It really is when light bounces off the original and casts some sort of shadow that is that makes you understand the original. If you saw a reflection of me in the mirror, you would have seen me certainly my silhouette. You would have seen even if you hadn't seen the details. And so, let's make mankind reflecting our nature. Our intrinsic qualities. Let mankind have these qualities, and then one translation says, "Let us make mankind godlike," and it uses the small g, which of course means that we are not we are, we, are, we definitely know we are not uh, omnipotent. We we know that all we don't have all power, but we are made godlike, which means we are like gods if you wanted to have a picture of it maybe the picture of little gods as opposed to the almighty god would would help paint that picture let us make man godlike now these are powerful statements by god because it's obvious that god's intention was that if i encounter this creation made in his image in his likeness reflecting his nature godlike i would have encountered a part of god i don't need to really know god to begin to know god I just need to meet someone who is God-like, someone who reflects his nature. And I suddenly get, begin to get an understanding of God. You know, we, we, part of our preaching is enhanced by the fact that people see God in us. Something God-like, something that reflects God's nature. Something that is after the likeness of God. Something that is in the image of God. And then the Bible goes on to say that God now blessed them. And like I said in the first service, I've heard many people describe that word blessed. And he might not even remember, because this was years ago. There was a sermon that Pastor Baju preached where he described blessed that has stuck with me all these years. Where he helped us to understand that when God blesses something, God puts in the thing. Inherently in it, the ability for the thing to become what God has said it should become. A blessing is when God supernaturally endows a person with the grace, the ability, the capabilities to do what God has said the person should do. Prior to the blessing, the person was unable to. Maybe also because the person was laboring in their own strength. But then when God pronounces a blessing, the thing suddenly has the capabilities supernaturally to achieve what God would want it to achieve. And so the Bible says that God blessed them. In doing so, he spoke into his creation the ability to fulfill their mandate and their charge. Their mandate was simple, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Without the blessing, they would be unable to do that. But then when he spoke a blessing on them, because he is God, the words he spoke were not ordinary words. They carried with them the supernatural power of God to enable his creation to achieve the mandate. And so he spoke that blessing into them and then gave them a charge. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill earth and take charge. That means his intention was that inherently in man, man had no choice but to prosper. Man had no choice but to reproduce. Man had no choice but to fill the earth, to influence the earth. And man had no choice but to take charge. And as long as man's identity was clear, as long as the creation knew who he was, who God said he was... As long as there was no confusion as to his identity, he functioned exactly as God intended he should function. In tandem with God, man and God in perfect harmony, he went about fulfilling the mandate that God had given him. And so when God put him in the garden in Genesis, the second chapter and the 15th verse, with instructions which is an outworking of that mandate, to tend and keep it. Man didn't have to look for a way to do it because the blessing had equipped the man to tend and keep the garden and tend and keep it, the man did. This was how God intended us to function before there was the challenge and the confusion with our identity. In tandem with God, We went about fulfilling God's plans and purposes on earth. We went about prospering. We went about reproducing. We went about or multiplying, if you want to use the language of the the older versions. We went about filling the earth, taking that authority, taking charge, influencing it, being responsible for it. And we had the capabilities in us because the blessing of God had ensured that that was the case. And if you want a perfect picture of how this works and one that you can apply to the present day, all you've got to do is look at what the Bible says about man in Genesis, the second chapter, from verses 19 to 20. Out of the ground, the the, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, it wasn't that God abdicated responsibility for naming these animals. It was that man had no confusion as to his identity. And as a result... He was literally one with God. And so there was a seamless flow from the mind of God into the mind of man. So man ended up working out, or the outworking that we saw was really the mind of God. And do you know that's how God intends us to function? Where I go to a meeting, and what I am saying is not really what I am saying, but it is what God is saying about what is happening, and I'm just the conduits to say it. That's how God intended us to function. So what I am doing is not really what I am doing, even though I am doing it. It is really what God wants done and God is using me to do it. And that's how Jesus lived out his life for us. He, says, he says, said quite clearly to us, I don't do anything that I haven't seen my father do. I don't say anything that I haven't seen my father say. And if you, can, if you take that to his logical conclusion, because it is God doing and God saying, how many know that it must work out exactly how God wants it to work out? And that's exactly what happened to man. They pulled an animal out, they brought it before man. It had a long neck, long, spindly legs. And man didn't have to make calculations, do too much of an analysis. Because there was, it was in tandem with God, there was one flow of the mind. Straight from heaven it came into the man's mind and he said, this is a giraffe. And it was exactly what God wanted to call it because man and God were in perfect harmony. For 2019, I pray that you will be in perfect harmony with God. But then there was a challenge because all this time, and we sometimes forget this truth, while all this was working so well, In that environment, there was an adversary. Because sometimes we think that Satan suddenly appeared in Genesis, the third chapter. But then, if we read the Bible, we understand that Satan had already been cast out of heaven for his rebellion. And wherever he was, I don't know whether he was on the earth I don't know whether he was already in the Garden of Eden, but I know he was certainly in the environment somewhere. The prince of the air was already there. The question that we ask ourselves then is, if Satan was already there, how come there is no mention of him in Genesis 1 and 2? The answer that I have is very simple. As long as man was walking in perfect harmony with God, as long as man was clear as to his identity, as long as man and God were walking were in tandem, even though Satan was there, he was not relevant. And you compare that to where we find ourselves today and you know that there really is an identity confusion. Because so much of our time is spent on Satan. So much of our time fighting him. So much of our time talking about him. Whole prayer meetings are dedicated to him. I dare say we would reduce those prayers if we can just solve this identity problem. For as long as we know who we are, Satan's relevance pales into insignificance because we know who we are. Can someone say amen? And of course, as he's there, he has an intention. Frankly, he has an anger against God. But then he can't do anything about it. He's angry because he has lost his position of prominence in heaven. He's angry for the judgment that was given against him. He's angry because the archangel Michael and two-thirds of the angels in heaven were sent against him and to throw him out of heaven. And you know, I always say to people... I mean it's not rocket science if if heaven is upwards somewhere and they threw him out uh, uh, where where is he I mean so you know you don't have to be a deep you know theologian to figure that one out if something is up and they threw him out then he kind of must be down somewhere here at least certainly in the atmosphere is it any wonder that they call him the air they call him the prince of the bible calls him the prince of the air prince of the power of the air and he's here we seething with anger because he has lost his cherished job. So, of course, he's firstly angry against God, but Satan and God are not opposites and equals. As they say in Africa, his anger is for himself. You know, in Africa, they say that one is for yourself. His anger is for himself. There's nothing he can do to God about it. God is God and Satan is, is a created being. But then, he can't touch God, but he can touch God's prized possession. He can spoil the relationship, that special relationship that God enjoys so much. The Bible talks about God coming in the cool of the evening to talk to his creation. This was what God created this created us for for fellowship with him. Satan decides, I must destroy that fellowship. And in a secondary sense, he has a bit of an irritation against you and I, an anger against you and I. Because when he was sacked from his job, the ideal thing would have been to create another archangel to lead worship in heaven. But then God didn't bother with that because God had a better plan. Why don't I get my creation from the earth to occupy his position in heaven? So every time we worship God, we are sending a message to that falling foe, our adversary, Satan. The job you lost, I'm now doing your job. How many know somebody takes your job and you don't have Christ in you? How many know that you are going to, you are going to, you are going to have it in for that person? And so, of course, he has it in for us. And the Bible tells us he starts to hatch a plot. Somehow, he must destroy that relationship. Somehow, he must create an identity crisis. Somehow. And when Jesus highlights his ministry in John the 10th chapter and the 10th verse, that's exactly what he plans to do. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, that scripture says. But Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I love the Passion Translation from the Passion Bible. It says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. And so there are two ministries that clash. On the one hand is the ministry of the enemy, and his ministry is simple, still kill, and destroy, or still slaughter, and destroy. On the other hand is the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his own ministry is simple, everything in abundance, more than you expect, an overflow and a fullness of life. And we have termed this year the year of the, year of the overflow for us. And that's what Jesus came to do, to give us an overflow, the fullness of life, an abundance of life, not of course just so we can luxuriate in it, but so that it can be used to achieve his own plans and his own purpose. And so the enemy hatches a plot. I call it the big heist, a plot where his intention is an identity theft. Because it's part of his ministry to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so his plan is simple. If I can somehow steal their identity, somehow commit this great crime of this identity theft, then I can create confusion in the vacuum. And if there's confusion in the vacuum, then they can't fulfill God's plans and purposes. And so what does the enemy do? He finds an animal. And you know, People hit the snake for this, but it could have been a crocodile, it could have been a, an alligator, it could, have been a, it could have been anything, but he finds an animal. And he comes into the body of the animal, into the body of the serpent. And the Bible records how he commits this great massive heist, this massive theft, in Genesis the third chapter, from verses 1 to 7. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 7. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. "It it 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 is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. He hatched a plot. He entered an animal, a serpent. And then he came to the woman and engaged her in a conversation. I am always concerned when I meet people who talk to the devil all the time. The only thing I have to say to the devil is to declare God's word concerning me to him and concerning himself to himself. But a conversation where he says and I say and I listen and he says is usually a recipe for disaster because you're talking to someone who cannot tell the truth. So everything he says is a lie. Why listen to the liar? And so the woman engages him in a conversation, not not understanding that principle, which by God's grace you understand. Can someone say amen? So he asks her, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? She goes on, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman, It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said, we mustn't eat it, and we mustn't touch it. If we do, we will die. Now, she said herself, isn't this interesting? That God said, if we touch it or eat it, we will die. She was very clear in her mind. That's why you have to keep going over the truth from the word of God over and over. Because it is possible that what you know, the enemy can make you do. Something against your better judgment. For she says herself, we will die if we touch it. We will die. That will be the end. And the serpent says you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. You will be like God. At that point, should she not have said to him, But I am already like God. I was made in his image, his likeness, reflecting his nature. I have God in me. And that should have been her counter to him. In much the same way that we are encouraged, especially by the example of Jesus, that the only way we speak to the enemy is by the word of God. And so if we can't say it is written, the enemy is going to convince us to do something that we shouldn't do. And might that be why the church is not as strong as it should? Because so many in the church don't study the Bible, don't read it, don't meditate on it, and so cannot say it is written. Your own words don't hold any, they have no strength with the enemy. Go away, go away, I'm not the only one. No, that was not written. Leave me, leave me. And then when it gets, when it gets worse, leave me now. No, it wasn't written. You have, you're not, you're not, he's not afraid of you. Oh, no, he's not afraid of you. He's afraid of you in Christ. And so you present first Christ because that's what he's afraid of. That's why you must be able to say, it is written. When Jesus showed us the perfect example of spiritual warfare, forget every other thing you know about spiritual warfare if you don't understand this. When he showed us in Matthew, the fourth chapter, from the fourth verse, the perfect example of spiritual warfare, and that, and that whole thing was written so that you and I could understand how we fight Satan. When he showed us that example, believe me, he didn't pray in tongues. Because some of us think tongues is what deals with Satan. No. No. In any case, you have no idea what you're saying in tongues. It doesn't deal with Satan. Some of us think the volume of tongues deals with Satan. So we shout, thinking that's going to frighten him. No. Some of us think our physical the physical contortions of our faces and, and, and the way we twist our bodies is what affrightens Satan. No. The one thing that Jesus made clear that Satan can't resist is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you must be able to say it is written. That's why Bible study, you have no option but to study that Bible, meditate on the Word, and then eventually confess it. Can someone say amen to that? Hallelujah. And then the Bible says that the, the woman, he now says to her, God, God, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And then the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit, ate it, and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, Confusion started. The whole identity crisis started at that moment. The plan was simple. It was a plan hatched in the pit of hell. The enemy understood that the battlefield is really the battlefield of the mind. And his plan was simple attack her mind. Because it was in her mind that she had believed what God said. And if he was going to uproot that belief, it had to be done in our minds. You see, if you look at the person next to you, they don't look like they're in warfare. But I assure you, there's a battle going on in in them. The battle is not external. It is internal. It is the battle of the mind. And so the enemy had a plan. Attack her mind. And his plan was simple. Sow seeds of doubt. Create confusion. Cause her senses to be overloaded. Get her to start to question herself and everything. And isn't that what we're faced with today, where where everything is questioned? And yet God, God had said, you're like me, but I am God. And so since I'm God, you're like me, you can do everything, but because I am God, I have set some boundaries. What is wrong with boundaries? If God set those boundaries. But today the, the world doesn't want boundaries. So today I can be this, tomorrow I wake up and this, and I woke up today and I think this is what I am. It is total confusion, it's an identity crisis. And the enemy's plan was simple sow seeds of doubt, make her question herself, create confusion in her mind overload her senses till it gives way let her ask herself who am i and have no answer let her question who god says she is let her ask whether god really said tell her she won't die even though god said she would die that that's not really what god meant if he's such a loving God, then why should he want you to die? Make her feel that there's something that God is keeping from her that would be to her benefit. God doesn't want her to know. Ask her, don't you want to be like God? The bombardment of her mind was intense, relentless and non-stop. And someone here understands what I'm saying because someone here is in the same battle where the enemy is bombarding your mind with lies. Assail her senses so that she sees the the beautiful tree and the beautiful fruit. Her her senses, her eyes are are bombarded by, 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 by what she sees. And it looks delicious. Isn't that how the enemy works? That's how he works today. We see something on television, it haunts us. We watch something on, on some internet thing, it haunts us. You see something you shouldn't see, the picture starts to dance in your heart. You're in church, you watch some pornography that you shouldn't have watched. You're in church lifting holy hands. But if we could see what was in your heart, there's nothing holy about it. Because your senses have been regaled, have been assailed, bombarded by the enemy. That's why a woman sees a a, a Hermes bag, a Birkin bag, and she wants it. Oh, Birkin, I need you. And she's ready to sell her body. Nobody's going to know. It's just one night, one stand, 20,000 pounds, and I have the Birkin bag. She's been bombarded. Her senses have been bombarded. Her mind is warped. And as a result of these things, if the enemy is relentless, eventually ungodly desires start to arise. And that's exactly what happened to the woman. And isn't it interesting that the woman ate this fruit. I know you think it's an apple. I think it's a mango, but that's another thing entirely. Maybe because I like mangoes. The woman ate this fruit, and nothing happened. That's mind-blowing. If the man had done what he should do, which is to be a covering for the woman, do you know the woman's eating would not have affected the plan? That's why we desperately need godly men. Men who can receive God's charge. Men who can serve their wives. Brothers whose sisters can feel safe with them. People who accept their responsibility in God. And does the Bible not list that clearly? It's not a question of one is better than the other. No, it's a question of function. The man's function was to be a covering for the woman. And so if the woman had eaten and had offered the man, and the man had said, no, that's not what God told us. Can't you remember what God told us? You're Blessed is the family where the head of the family can say to the family, this is what God told us. Where the man does not know what God told him for the family, then the enemy is going to bring his own plan to pass. And so if the man had said, no, 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 no. no, You've eaten of it, but that's okay. I'll go with you before God. He's a forgiving father. He will forgive us, but you simply, I'm not going to eat that thing. Because God said. So blessed is a community where there are godly men. That's why we have a passion for men here at Jesus' house. To raise godly men. Men who will hear God and who will do what God says. And the woman Offers him the fruit. I, I hope you don't think she just said, "Take." No, 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 no. She employed all the resources that God has given her. And if you're looking for resources that can persuade a human being to abdicate their throne, with uh, uh, women. So when a woman employs those resources for the kingdom of God, they are unstoppable. Because they are wired by God with abilities and qualities that can persuade anybody to do what they want. And so, of course, she employs them, sadly not for God, but for the enemy. And she makes him eat the fruit. So that's why we say thank God for godly women. That's why when women pray, and guys, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with your prayer... But there was a way that God wired a woman to travel that a man cannot travel. Have you ever traveled for a child? I mean, with the confusion that's going on now, they're going to try and do that. But let's take aside the confusion that's out there. Because does a man know what it is to travel to birth a child? No. We, we can only copy what they are doing. When I say to men, travel, they say, mm-hmm. I said, no, 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 that's not travail. I said, no, that's not travail. Ask a woman who has given birth. She will tell you what it is to push something out. When God now gives her a vision and she's carrying something from God, she's wired in a way to push that thing out and bring it to pass. You're blessed when you have such a woman by your side. You're blessed in a community when you have so many of those women. And as soon as the man eats the Bible says the moment at that time something happens. The enemy knew that this would be the consequences of that rebellion. He understood more than we do that the nature of sin is that the person who sins invariably loses their identity. So The aim of sin is a loss of identity. The aim of sin is to make you who you're not. It is only sin that makes a lion or the son or daughter of a lion, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, live in a pigsty and eat the foods of pigs. It is only sin that can do that. That can mess up someone's mind so much that they lose their identity and take a knife and stab a fellow human being. It is a complete loss of identity, confusion, and it is sin that brings that about. And so the enemy knew that I must steal their identity. I must steal from them their knowledge of who they are. And the way to do that is I must separate them from their image. Because you see, as long as I am standing before my image and I keep beholding my image, my image keeps telling me who I am, But if I can separate you from your image so that you're not beholding your image, you start to look around at every other thing. And there's a whole, so many things are telling you who you are. The result is is always confusion. And so he does that. He does exactly what the prophet says in Isaiah 59, verses verses 2 especially. He says, your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He knew that that was what was going to happen. The moment the woman capitulated, the moment she was convinced, the seed of rebellion was sown in her heart. She was ready to disobey God. She took the fruit, ate it, gave some to her husband, he ate some, and instantly there was a separation. The relationship was severed. The link was destroyed. He had achieved his ministry of stealing, killing, and destroying. He had stolen their identity, destroyed their relationship. Killed their joy. And as a result, man was left to flounder. Confusion took the place of clarity. He was no longer sure who he was. And we'll start talking about it next week when we talk about the results of this thing. Because for the first time, a man who had been walking around naked with his wife and didn't feel anything about it, the Bible says suddenly he felt ashamed a negative emotion had been introduced that wasn't there before as a result of the loss of his identity. And, of course, you can imagine what was happening in the camp of the enemy. It could only have been scenes of jubilation. As, they thought, as the enemy thought, finally, we have got them. We've separated them from their image. They will forget their likeness. They soon will no longer reflect his nature. They'll pick up their nature from all kinds of things that are around. Watch reality programs and pick up their nature from the actors and the actresses. Isn't that a strategy? Somebody who's to be like God wants to be like Kardashian? What a joke. And that's how how we're defined. We're defined by all these people. Because there's confusion. The result is that there's an identity crisis. And who's happy when there's an identity crisis? The enemy. But thank God that's not going to be your portion. Because we are going to discover who we are in Christ. And then we are going to regain what the enemy has stolen from us. Can someone say amen to that? Go on, give God a clap offering. Go on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, a major major part of this journey of recovery, a major weapon is going to be your mouth. The Bible says the power of life and death is in our mouth. The God we follow, we are made in His image. He frames things by His words. And so, a major part of our journey of, uh, our journey of recovery, as we recover our identity, is going to be what we say. As we say it over and over again, we start to believe it in our hearts. As it takes r- root in our hearts, we start to go back to being who God has said we are. Can, can someone say amen to that? Rise to your feet as we make some declarations about our identity. If we can have that on the screen very quickly. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 You create your world with your mouth. God framed the world with his mouth. You can also destroy your word with your confession. Your world with your confession. Go on, lift your voices and say after me. Let's read together. Let's do it together. One, two, go. I am made in the image and likeness of God. I am made to reflect the nature of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made because you, O God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I am blessed because you have blessed me and I will prosper, reproduce, fill the earth and take charge. I am destined to live life in its fullness. I enter into the overflow of your spirit and the abundance of life promised me. I am chosen, called to the high calling of priestly work, a citizen of your holy nation, and a special and prized possession of yours. I am the apple of your eye, so whoever touches me has touched the apple of your eye. Now these words are not my words. Every single one of these words, I'm sure some of you have figured it out, was taken from from what God says you are. And we're not doing anything that Jesus didn't do. You know... Jesus makes seven statements, what I call seven I am statements. So we're just doing the same thing. And in making those seven I am statements, of course he was declaring his deity. But he was also responding to what the people were saying about him that was incorrect. So as you make these declarations, as you declare I am, based on what God says you are, you are responding to everything that is incorrect that has tried to define your identity. Can someone say amen to that? And when you speak it, speak it with life. Declare it to everybody who is hearing. Frame your world by it. So one more time, let's lift up our voices with life. and let's. Ma- you know, one of these declarations could sort someone out today. Just one. One of these confessions. So let's lift our voices and make these confessions again. One, two, go. I am made in the image and likeness of God. I am made to reflect the nature of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made because you, O oh God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. I am blessed because you have blessed me and I will prosper, reproduce, fill the earth and take charge. I am destined to live life in its fullness. I enter into the overflow of your spirit and the abundance of life promised me. I am chosen called to the high calling of priestly work, a citizen of your holy nation, and a special and prized possession of yours. I am the apple of your eye, so whoever touches me has touched the apple of your eye. Hallelujah. Go on, celebrate God. Hallelujah. You may be seated as I close. If you would just bow your heads, maybe reflect on what you have heard and what you have proclaimed and declared concerning yourself. One of those declarations says, I am a prized, I am a special and prized possession of God. It's an empty statement until you have given your life to Christ. Because you see, you can't be His if you haven't given yourself to Him. And so with all heads bowed and you're listening online, please check your heart. If you can't say categorically, I am His, and how do I know categorically I am his because I know I remember the day that I gave my life to him. I gave it to him. Because you see part of the what the enemy worked out with that rebellion is that we took back from him what really we should have given to him. What was his. We said we are better at managing it ourselves, running it ourselves. But now someone might be saying you know what I want to give this life back to you. To do that, I want to accept your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With all heads bowed, if there's anybody here saying, I want to do that this afternoon, if you would slip your hands up wherever you are. Anybody saying, please pray for me. I, I, I really want to do that. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to become his prized possession. I want to give my life back to you. Slip your hand up wherever you are. Anybody saying, please pray for me. Any hands, please pray for me. Father, we thank you and we bless you. Online, any hands. Go on, slip it up. Slip it up. I can see that hand. God bless you. my. God bless you. I, I can see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to give this life back to him. I'm tired of running it myself. Tired of controlling it myself. I'm not my own God. I have a Father. I have a God. I see that hand at the back. Anybody else? Go on, slip it high. Slip it high. You're not, it's not to man. It's to God. You're just, you're just starting the journey. You're, you're, you're going back to the right place to start. Anybody else? Slip the hand high. Slip the hand high. Anybody else? All right, ushers, I need you to help some of our ministry team um, to the hands that were put up. Just uh, put the hand up wherever you are. A pastor is going to come to you or somebody from our ministry team. And if you would just go with them, they're going to do... We're going to pray specially for you as you become a prized possession of his. Anybody else? Slip the hand up wherever you are. Father, we thank you. We bless you. Oh, we bless you. Now, those of you whose heads are bowed for a, a minute or two, just talk to God about your identity tell him i want i want to regain my identity my full identity in you lord jesus and i thank you for this opportunity to do so and if you if you still want to start this journey you want to slip your hand up just slip it up when we see a a member of the ministry team will be right by you father we thank you and if you're online please follow the instructions uh, uh, on the on the screen and just and just Follow those instructions as we welcome you into the body of Christ. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. Thank you for your love for us. For lavishing us with this love. For this unfailing love. We bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Go on, give God a clap offering. Go on. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.